0: Welcome to the Capital Beach. My name is Derek Brockbank, and I'm your host for the Capital Beach, where we talk about policy and decision making and funding from our nation's capital that help coastal uh, coastal communities and, and coastal areas. Uh, I'm the Executive Director of Coastal States Organization. For those of you that have been listening for a while, that might sound a little bit odd. It's a little bit odd for me to say. I, I recently started at Coastal States, having been uh, with American Shore and Beach Preservation Association for six years. Um, but I'm delighted today to be talking to a friend and colleague who I've worked with um, for a number of years, both with a- with ASBPA and, and now with Coastal States, uh, Suzanne Simon with Restore America's Estuaries. We're going to be talking about a relatively new um, grant program, or at least new for for Restore America's estuaries, the Coastal Watersheds Grants, um, sort of part of the ongoing discussions we've had about federal funding to help coastal uh, coastal communities and, and coastal restoration. So really excited to be talking with Suzanne today, but first a quick word from our sponsors.
1: The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at LJA.com.
2: And by Coastal Protection Engineering, a new name in the coastal engineering industry made up of professionals that are anything but new to coastal restoration. With offices in Florida and North Carolina, this multidisciplinary team provides clients with a full suite of professional services for beach nourishment, coastal resiliency, inlet management, and navigation projects. This is a great team with well-respected industry-leading professionals and strong credentials, working with local, state, and federal clients. They have the horsepower to handle large-scale coastal restoration projects. But as a small business in this ever-changing coastal environment, they understand the need to respond and adapt quickly to every client's unique challenges. Check out CPE at coastalprotectioneng.com or follow them on LinkedIn.
1: And be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at com. That's C-H-L-O-E at Today.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show.
0: Okay, well, thank you uh, so much to our sponsors and thank you so much to you, Suzanne. It's great to to talk to you. I'm sorry we can't do this in person, but uh, we continue to operate on COVID and glad to be talking to you over the internet.
3: Yeah, likewise. And uh, thank you for having me and congratulations on your new role.
0: Well, thank you. I'm excited about it, and and look forward to continuing to uh, collaborate with Restore America's Estuaries. Um, uh, For those that maybe don't know, uh, I think Ray is a fan. Ray is the uh, acronym RAE, Restore America's Estuaries. We may refer to it as such. Um, It's a great organization. But for those folk listeners that might not know it too well, can you give us a quick overview of, of of Ray and then what you do there?
3: Great, thanks. Uh, Yeah, so Ray is a national alliance of 10 coastal conservation groups dedicated to restoring and preserving America's estuaries and coasts as essential resources for our nation. So basically, uh, we work with our member groups um, and to provide a national voice on restoration and coastal issues. Um, And in terms of what I do, I've I've had many hats. Um, My training formally is as a... um, is in marine and astrine science. Uh, I started out as an ocean at an oceanographic consulting firm up in Seattle, and and then made my way back to the East Coast, where I'm originally from, um, and uh, did some advocacy work in in DC, and uh, ended up as the uh, first National Policy and Science Director for Ray way back in the day, um, and then. Uh, so life, uh, life has its ways of meandering around, and and then uh, so I left and took a little bit of break from the D.C. scene, and, and then I came back in 2009 in a very different role. Um, so I, I led the Living Shorelines program for a while, and now, as as it as it happened, um, uh, Restore America's Estuaries. Ray uh, was able to successfully compete for the. NEP Coastal Watersheds Grant Program, which we're going to talk about a little bit more. Um, And with that, I became the administrator of that program. So the Coastal Watersheds Grant is a funding source from EPA, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and Restore America's Estuaries administers it in coordination and with funding from EPA.
0: Great. Well, that was a, a full recap. I've always, I guess, I started to know you um, in that time where you were working on living shorelines. Always sort of thought of you as the living shorelines guru. And you mentioned that <laughs> was two thousand and nine. I mean, living shorelines are such a, a buzzword now. I mean, you can't talk about the coast without talking about living shorelines. But you know, even just what was that twelve years ago, they were still a little bit of a new concept, and I think, or at least a new terminology. People weren't talking about it as much. So I really give a lot of credit to Restore America's Estuaries for helping. Um, Drive that conversation, and, and to you for for doing that.
3: I also would give credit to our member groups too, because it was honestly um, a bit of an organic process um, where we saw them starting to use these techniques in their restoration programs, and it kind of bubbled up because Ray often serves as a as a collector of sorts of of some of these ideas because we, we're a national group that, that's in close communication with our member group. So it, it was sort of kind of bubbled up naturally. Um, and, and I'm delighted to see that, that it is being really uh, championed and implemented around the country in so many um, interesting and, and novel ways, particularly, I think the exciting envelope is, is in the uh, higher energy environments.
0: Yeah. And I'm hesitant to name any of your, uh, member groups for fear of leaving a couple out because they're all <laughs> such good groups. Um, but they're, they're local regional, uh, estuary and coastal groups. I've worked very closely with uh, coalition to restore coastal Louisiana back when I was doing Louisiana work, um, American literal society, which is up in, in New Jersey and works in the mid Atlantic area. Um, Calveston Bay foundation, you know, they're, they're all over the coast. Most of the major, uh, premier estuaries and bays in the country, I think have one of, have a member group that repre- is represented as a collaborative partner for, for Ray. So all doing really good work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Well, you, you we were going to talk about the coastal watershed grants. You mentioned that this is a joint, a collaborative effort of EPA and, uh, Restore America's estuaries. And then you briefly threw in there the national estuary program. Um, Maybe before we talk about the grant specifically, uh, you could give a quick overview of what the National Estuary Program is that's run out of EPA, because there's a lot of different federal estuary, or at least there's a few different federal estuary programs out there, but there's only one that's sort of the official National national estuary Estuary Program. Could you give a quick overview of that?
3: Absolutely. So the National Estuary Program is a place-based program, as you already noted, within the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Um, It has the goal of protecting and restoring the water quality and ecological integrity of estuaries of national significance. Now, that's a particularly important term, and there are currently 28 such estuaries um, located in the Atlantic Gulf and Pacific coasts and Puerto Rico. Um, and so basically wherever there has been one of these estuaries of national significance, there is a national estuary program located there. Um, and I would, EPA has a really great website that that describes all of these 28 locations. And I would certainly encourage folks to, to learn more about that. Um, and as, as your question to the overlap there is so, for example, NOAA has the National Estuarine Research Reserves, um, and and there occasionally is overlap, but in in a lot of cases, um, any the NEPs and the we call them the NIRS, uh, N E R R S, um, they occur in different locations, and and they have slightly different um missions, as it were. Uh, they all tend to be place-based though. Um, but they they differ in sort of some of the nuances and what what they're tackling and and how they go about that.
0: Thanks. And so this this grant program that we're gonna be talking about today is um, funded ultimate I mean you guys are running it at Ray, but ultimately it's funded through EPA from federal dollars that Congress allocates to the National Estuary Program. And so all the grants um, all the work that's being done under these grant programs need to fall within the boundaries of the NEP can you talk a little bit about sort of how NEP boundaries what defines a uh, an estuary of national significance where does that estuary begin and end
3: right so so there's that that's a really important nuance here so the 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 estuaries of national significance were designated by Congress. And again, if you you want a map, if you're a visual person like I am, you can go to the EPA site to see that. Um, The geographic eligibility areas, as it relates to this grant program, um, slightly kind of go upstream and downstream of those. So you might see the geographic eligibility areas do not exactly mimic the 28 uh, areas of uh, 28 estuaries of national significance but they overlap them in other words there's a little bit more to it um, in terms of the, terms of this program um, but the 28 estuaries of national significance are all located within the geographic eligibility areas
0: okay so this program is going to be helping those estuaries even if the programs the, the specific project themselves might not fall directly within that estuary it's going to be it's going to be benefiting the estuary
3: exactly and and okay. that's an important that's a, something else that's really important is that the any any project that is funded has to explicitly address um one of one or more of the priority actions of um a, what is called the comprehensive conservation and management plan that we're really getting a little in the weeds but each of these NEP sites um, has to come up with a master plan, basically, in terms of what their priorities are, how they're going to tackle them, um, and any project funded under this grant program has to directly address one of those priorities within the nearby NEP.
0: Well, we're starting to get into the grant program, so probably what makes sense to really cover it, um, and also just to point out from a, a timely perspective, this is an annual program, so it's something we could be talking about at any time, but it is it is a timely a timely. Topic to be talking about. Uh, the letters of intent are due June seventh. So if you're listening to this and you're saying, "Well, maybe I got a, a coastal project that I think might work," um, now is the time to to learn more because you have a uh, a little bit of time to to put in a, a letter of intent and a pre-application. Um, but give us the give us a sort of elevator pitch. What is the Coastal Watershed Grant Program? Um, and then I always think it's helpful to learn about how things started. I think that provides some context for what makes this. A unique program or an individual program, so we sort of were digging into it. But what's the overview, and then how did it how did it come about? How did it start, and how did Restore America's Estuaries come come to be the administrator, a minister of it?
3: Right, yeah, it's a great question. I'm gonna I'm gonna flip the answers on you a little bit. So um, this grant program was established by Congress as a competitive fund, uh, basically designed to help coastal areas. Uh, when they were creating this, Congress also uh, defined what they called urgent and challenging issues. Um, and these include things like loss of habitat, harmful algal blooms, a marine mammal mortality, and, and there's a number of other other issues that Congress um, specifically called out. Um, and so when they were authorizing and creating this program, so they, they kind of set this tone of this is, this is what we think is important, this is what we want this program to focus on, um, And then they, they kind of went to EPA and said, okay, here's, here's the money, here are the priorities. Um, and then EPA in turn said, okay. And they turned it into a competitive process by which EPA, um, by which EPA was, was seeking a partner to administer the funds. And, um, Ray competed for it, and and we were selected to administer the programs. And, and so the, those priorities are really critical to understand in that each of the RFPs, as you noted, are annual, um, but each of the RFPs has a slightly different set of priorities. Um, the idea being we want to cover um, the most urgent and challenging issues and yet have a chance to kind of pivot through uh, different mixes of those priorities. Um, so it gives us a chance to focus on on certain aspects with each rfp so for example um this set of priorities for this rfp which we just released um are harmful algal blooms loss of habitat and flooding and coastal erosion so any of the projects that seek to get funding have to address one or more of those priorities for this rfp
0: just a Couple small minor <laughs> challenges facing our coast: harmful yeah, algal yeah, blooms, loss just of just habitat, of, and yeah, you know. floating, and coastal erosion. Um, <laughs> so, uh, fortunately, you guys have, I think, two trillion dollars to administer to solve those problems. Right? Is that <laughs> about
3: right? Actually, it's higher than that. Oh, if only. Yeah. So we we um, we anticipate um, funding approximately a million dollars a year in in projects
0: so a million dollars a year so it's you know it, it's and I, this is not in any way to uh to undervalue the program but it's it's not a major funding source to tackle major challenges but a million dollars can uh for a couple projects you know if you're looking at a couple projects that can really have some localized important influence let's talk a bit about Let's maybe dive into some uh, uh, some of what you funded. We were talking before the call about some projects you funded last year, twenty twenty, which I believe was the first year that Restore America's Stories administered the program. So, can we? You want to choose out one or two of the the programs that you funded and. and- Yeah.
3: Yeah. And so a quick clarification. So the projects, uh, and your, to your point, um, in terms of the size of the projects, the size of the projects in terms of the funding is 75,000 to $250,000. So you're absolutely right in that these aren't, you know, the monster monster projects. Um, I think there's other pots of money that do that very nicely. Um, so, uh, As a result of the money that that we were able to distribute uh, from the last RFP, so the first one, as you noted, um, we had eight projects and they are all fantastic. We had over 200 LOIs get submitted. So um, we had this huge and amazing pool to choose from. Um, And so the eight we have um, for for the previous RFP, there's everything from eelgrass restoration, living shorelines, nutrient loading, habitat restoration. It's kind of fascinating fabulously all over the place. Um, But, you know, one of the examples that um, I think really highlights a lot of what we were looking for is a project down in Louisiana that was proposed by the Lowlander Center, um, along with some other team partners, including the tribes down there. And what they are doing is some fantastic and innovative marsh restoration work, where they'll be combining traditional ecological knowledge um, from the tribes, along with academic approaches. Um, They're partnering with uh, Louisiana State University Um, to do marsh restoration to protect culturally sensitive sites. Uh, In other words, sites that are really important to the tribes. And and so I feel like, um, and not just myself, but the review team uh, really felt that this was a a fantastic project in in terms of the the community um, incorporating, you know, different types of knowledge, um, you know, and and Louisiana is really, as as you well know, Derek, it's just getting hammered you know, in terms of its its marsh loss and and other things. So, you know, it was, um, you know, a great project and, and we were very pleased to fund it.
0: Yeah, and if you go, I was on the Lowlander Center website um, and it, it talks about the need and, and the ability of this project to help protect sacred sites. Um, one thing that's been uh, talked about a lot, particularly in, in this new incoming administration, is the need for environmental justice and equity and inclusion and and too often um, funds don't consider some of the the challenges that communities face. You know there are match requirements, there are um, you know expectations that communities will have you know fully developed plans, which um, communities that haven't been uh, that have been underserved or have been um, Marginalized, don't have that capacity. I was wondering. This this certainly seems like a project where you are supporting a community that has been uh, marginalized. You know, tribes in in Louisiana. Some of them aren't even fully federally recognized. They've 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 struggled um, to gain. uh, I don't know a foothold in the rest battle uh, battle to save the coast. Um, Was this something that was explicitly part of? The grant program, or was it just something that you recognized when seeing the application and deciding that that was something that you needed to invest in?
3: Um, it was a little bit of both. Um, in you know, in the RFP uh, for 2020, so the first one, um, we specifically requested, particularly where the teams for the teams aspect. In other words, who's who's on your team? We 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 wanted to see. I think the language uh, was something like, "We want to see." Um, the teams reflect and, and meaningfully engage the communities in which they are working. Um, you know that that was sort of our, our first attempt to say, you know, we we really want to see some of these areas that are being hardest hit um, uh, engage folks in a meaningful way. Because I think they're there it's easy for sometimes people to pay lip service to it, and and we really wanted to see that active engagement. And so the Lowlander Center. Um, project really did that beautifully. Um, And as to the the 2021 RFP that we just released, um, th- the the diversity, inclusion, equity, and justice aspect is going to be more uh, heavily focused. I mean, there's a an out and out statement on our commitment to that, um, and we and we certainly want to see more of of those impacts. Um, however, with the Lowlander Center, it was it was sort of a win win because it was a, it was a great project um, just to start with, um, and you know, it it involved um, the tribes, and and so it was. It was a really great project all the way around, and and I, I personally I, I find it interesting, as did other members of the review committee, that you know this this concept of formally bringing in traditional ecological knowledge, combining it with um, academic. Um, you know, approaches where that always hasn't been the case. You know, a lot of times, particularly if you talk to folks um, who are within the tribes, their you know, their traditional economic, uh, either indigenous or ecological knowledge, has been dismissed because it's not it's not written down, it hasn't been proven, or you know something like that. But yet, when you talk to some of these elders, you know, they can say, "Well, we know what's going on sometimes better than the scientists because we've lived here longer." You know, so it's. Um, there's that aspect to it that I think is also rather critically important in terms of really honoring the, um, the value and their, their knowledge because they've lived in this landscape for a very, very long time.
0: Thanks. And I think this is another, a good example of sort of what we were talking about or joking about of the, you know, how this kind of grant program fits into the broader scale of coastal need, right? So coastal Louisiana has a $50 billion master plan. Um, and this was a you know, $250,000 project. So a little bit of a drop in the bucket when you think about the the broad kind of scale of what, uh, Louisiana needs in terms of restoring its coast. But for one very specific community, this was the difference between having sacred sites protected and preserved and sacred sites going underwater. So, you know, I think it's easy to get, I find it's easy to get lost in, in the, the scale of, of some of our coastal needs and forget, you know, the real people and places, uh, that they represent. And sometimes, you know, a $250,000 project can be um, just absolutely essential to a community. So let's pivot to um, maybe one that's even sm- a smaller in funding, but also uh, very important. Uh, we were talking a bit about um, Buzzards Bay uh, project, which I mistakenly thought was out on the West Coast. And I found out that Buzzards Bay is in New England, so it couldn't get couldn't get further from where I was thinking it was. But talk about uh, talk about this one. This, this is a, a water quality one and dealing with septic systems. So pretty different than restoring marshes,
3: right? And that's a, another one of the fun things about these these projects and these proposals that we're getting is that they 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 do kind of vary. Um, so this is a really interesting project where um, it's out on Cape Cod in Massachusetts, and the idea is to look at what is coming into your, not your, but, you know, the, the, the coastal areas from septic systems. Um, a lot of these areas and, and not just on, on Cape Cod, but, you know, you've got really sandy soil and you've got fairly high density. Um, some of these communities are fairly old. They don't have, you know, traditional wastewater treatment plants, uh, lots of septic systems. And so the idea is to uh, do some, in situ monitoring, and this particular project uses some innovative technology um, that actually won a an award, a previous award. In other words, the technology uh, there was a competition that EPA held um, in terms of nutrient sensing, and and so it just so happened that you know um, Buzzards Bay Coalition is is partnering with this this group. Um, so it's it's really innovative, it's groundbreaking, and the hope then is that. You know, if there is a way to to better monitor, then then you can you know better manage, build. You know, there's a whole suite of things that come off of this in terms of what it means for managing um, and and better designing septic systems, um, and therefore really decreasing the nutrient loading that is such a problem in our coastal waters.
0: Interesting, and so I take it that water quality, I think you said, was one of the. Um, sort of priorities for the RFP last year as opposed to this year where we're looking at harmful algal blooms. Correct. So one of the ones
3: from last year was nutrients and and nutrients, how to okay. address them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So this year we're looking at harmful algal blooms, which is in in many cases also a nutrient issue, but uh, definitely it manifests itself differently.
0: Interesting. Well, let's, so those are good projects. Definitely go to the Restore America's Estuaries website. It lists out all eight projects that got funded last year. Um, ranging from the West Coast to New England, uh, and up and down both coasts, and obviously the Gulf Coast too. Um, but let's look at uh, let's look to this year. Uh, we mentioned the timeline. The letter of intent is coming up in June seventh. We've heard the um, the priorities. Uh, what other important dates or deadlines are, are coming up? Or what would you what do you expect from applications this year?
3: Right? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for, for that that prompt on the on the date. So um, for to pull out, you know, into broader picture. Um, it's a two step process. There's a letter of intent, which is a shorter, simpler version. Um, and then our review committee will, will look at those and then do a invitation for folks to submit a full proposal. We found that this two step process, um, you know, kind of of helps everybody use their time best. And it also streamlines the process a bit. Um, So in terms of the letters of intent, if you go to the RFP, the request for proposals, which is on our site, by the way, it's estuaries.org. I don't know that we've explicitly said that just yet. Um, And the request for proposals document outlines everything that you're going to need to pull together, everything from you know who your team is, what your budget is, all of that good stuff. And then you will use our on Online submittal portal. Um, so my recommendation is for folks to develop this in a separate document, and then you know, kind of look through what you what you're going to need to do, and then and then submit it through our portal by June 7th. Um, in terms of things to keep in mind, we already touched on those geographic eligibility areas. That is absolutely critical. You know, the project in its entirety must occur within those polygons, um, and the interactive map is really quite intuitive to use you can put in an address you can put it in a town you know by all means before you start going down this road make sure that the project you're thinking about really does occur within these geographic eligibility areas um projects must also address one or more of the rfp priorities we already talked about those harmful algal blooms loss of habitat flooding and coastal erosion as derek said yeah, no piece of cake we'll solve that in a year or two um totally joking. Um, and then also we already touched on this, but just to reiterate, um, any awarded project must relate to and carry out one or more of the priority actions in one of the 28 NEP uh, management plans. Um, and there's a little bit more to it than that, but that's sort of like the the key thing to remember. Um again the idea is that we really want to be tackling those priority issues so we're all you know basically moving in in the same path on that front so those are those are sort of the the highlights i would encourage folks to really look through all of the requirements as outlined in in the RFP document which is available on on our website
0: yeah the RFP is thoroughly comprehensive it's a nice 18 page <laughs> review of everything you need to do but also very helpful to have all the I would imagine most of your questions answered in that. Um, there are also two upcoming webinars, one coming up very shortly on Tuesday, April 27th, and one coming up Wednesday, May 5th. So if this has piqued your curiosity and you want to you know, see that webinar, I assume there'll probably be opportunities to ask questions on that too. Um, definitely tune into those. Again, all that information is on estuaries.org. Um, so one thing I wanted to dig into a, a little bit was uh, there are different federal funding Grant programs. Um, on on this, you know, just on our podcast, we've had a conversation with the folks over at National Fish and Wildlife Foundation around the uh, National Coastal Resilience Fund. We've talked to Fish and Wildlife Service about their National Coastal Wetlands Conservation Grants. Um, so, Suzanne, what do you think uh, makes this grant program unique? And then how do you how do you assess the value? I know you've only had one year of administering it, but as you as you move forward and have a couple projects completed and under your belt, how are you going to determine whether this was successful uh, against the goals that you set out?
3: Yeah, that that's a that's a lot to unpack, but let's go. Yeah. Um, so um, the. Your, your question is a good one in that there are these different um, buckets of money, if you will. So, you know, with the uh, NIFWF, National Fish and Wildlife Foundation, um, you know, I have had a number of conversations with their, their coastal resilience folks and and, you know, their approach is different it's a much bigger scale for the most part um higher ticket values and and that's fine you know and and it's it 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 takes all different types of buckets of money and sizes and everything else like we, we already talking about like you know lowlander center it's you know in some cases, people wouldn't think it's a big ticket item. However, it does make a really big impact on, on on some of the local levels. So, the way the way I see this is, it is just a not just, but it is another tool um, for folks to to use. Hopefully, to continue to improve and address the coastal issues that that we're facing as a country. Um, and so, yeah, I would encourage folks. I mean, not it, how should I put this? It's um, It's not one size fits all, right? Each of these programs has its own focus areas, its own approaches, um, many of which are dictated by congressional and or agency um, priorities so you know it, it it fits into this sort of giant web that we have of, of federal funding um, as it relates to how we are assessing the value in, in terms of of how we see this one of the things that we're looking at is sort of the standard metrics we, we are requesting you know outputs and outcomes outputs would be things like deliverables outcomes would be you know the bigger picture of, of of how this changed things on the ground. So that sounds like very uh, process oriented. And yet it's really important, I think, because we need to be able to document, you know, how we're doing. Um, the other thing, just in terms of a, you know, a, a penny counter, you know, it's it's a case where we also do require a match to make sure that the taxpayer dollars are being used meaningfully and well and, and being accounted for. Um, and and last but certainly not least, and I think one of the things that, you um, I am excited to hear about is we really wanted to make sure that each of these projects had very strong outreach and engagement components. So, and, and we asked for that on two levels. One was on to a lay audience. In other words, people in the community they they need to know what's happening and they need to know where their tax dollars are going, basically, and 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 how it's being meaningfully applied to make sure that things are improving. And then also um, making sure that the tech transfer component. In other words, outreach and engagement to um, fellow professionals or or resource managers. So, for example, what's being learned about about nutrient abatement in, in septic systems in Cape Cod is, is then going to be shared, hopefully, um, with people maybe on the West Coast who are having a similar problem. You know, one of the things that Restore America's Estuaries has philosophically always been about is not recreating the wheel. You know, we really want to make sure that this information is shared uh, so we can collectively all learn from each other and move forward. Um, you know, Derek, you noted, you know, jokingly, you know, easy three trillion, right? You know, we have to make this money go as far as we can because we don't have $3 trillion. Um, and so we really want to to make sure that that value is there on a number of different fronts.
0: That's great. And I think Restore America's Estuary is as well poised to do that um, through through your work. I mean, I think a lot of coastal community know uh, Ray through the Coastal Summit, the biannual every other year summit that you guys host. CSO's co-hosted that in the past. Um, but it's a huge gathering of you know, almost a thousand people, maybe over a thousand people to share information. So getting projects like these talked about there, certainly getting uh, projects published, I think that's great to advance this. Um, Also, even in, in asking you the question, I sort of realized this comes back to one of the fundamental challenges of the coast is that it is so dynamic. And because it is the intersection of land and water and you know, by definition, estuaries are the intersection of freshwater and saltwater. It's it's managed at multiple levels. So the, the projects, the grant funding that I talked about, NIFWIFS and uh, CRF comes out of a NOAA line item budget. This we talked about is coming out of uh, EPA uh, budget. And then, and then the Fish and Wildlife Service Coastal um, Wetlands Conservation Grants are coming out of uh, Fish and Wildlife Service, which is the Department of Interior. So you've got three different agencies, all with a role in managing um, the coastal environment, but coming at it from slightly different perspectives. So there may be some level of overlap, but they're also looking at it from from different ones. Um, also, uh, while we're talking about this one, did want to make it since I brought up the other ones. I'll make a quick plug. Um, if you're looking to apply for the National Coastal Resilience Fund from NIFWIF this year, you're a little bit too late. The pre-proposals were due on April seventh, um, but the timing for the Fish and Wildlife Service Coastal Watershed Grants Program is, is similar. Their pre-proposals are due June twenty fifth. So. Um so if if you look into the if you look at Restore America's estuaries, the coastal watershed grants, and it doesn't seem like it quite fits, maybe worth taking a look at Fish and Wildlife Service um, or thinking about uh, NCRF for next year. So um, well I think we've we've covered this pretty well. Suzanne, is there anything else you'd like to share about? the watershed grants program or anything I, I should have asked you um, anything else you want to talk about uh, for this?
3: Well, I, I would love uh, for folks listening to this to take a look and you know um, if, if they feel that they have an effort in mind to go ahead and apply uh, we've been doing our best to keep the, particularly the LOI process um I, I, I won't go so far as to say it's relatively painless because some of these processes are, you know, there's just a certain amount of information you have to pull together. But, you know, we really are trying to lower the barriers in, in terms of um, wanting a lot of different types of groups to apply. So I would say uh, my big request is for folks to spread the word um, and join us on our webinars um, and to get in touch with me. Uh, my email is in the RFP. Um, if you have any questions or if you want to run it by me to say, hey, I'm thinking about XYZ, you know, should I, should I apply or is this too far off base? That's absolutely fine. And I'm absolutely happy to welcome those sorts of emails.
0: Well, thank you, Suzanne. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, My final question for almost all my guests, if we have time, is to ask a a more personal one, which is what is your favorite beach or coastal area? Uh, A lot of us that work on the coastline are stuck behind computers most of our day. So where do you go to get rejuvenated? What's the, what's the coastal area that, that brings you joy and happiness?
3: Yeah. So I was thinking about this question and all I could think of was, that's like choosing my favorite child, right? So, um, so do you
0: have a favorite child?
3: (laughs) I only have one. See, so that makes it easy. So um, (laughs) the, uh, I am fortunate enough. um, I think much like you is that, you know, we have member groups all around the country and, and I've, I was thinking about it, I've, I've been fortunate enough to visit all of our salty state um, coasts with the exception of Hawaii. Um, and so that's on my bucket list, I suppose. But if you're asking me kind of where my, my heart is happy, um, I would have to say the main coast. Um, I went to college up there and I just fell in love with that rocky coastline. Um, it does have some beaches. Um, they tend to be few and far between and very chilly to swim in. But um, yeah, it's such a it's a it's a beautiful and wild and rugged uh, coastline. And um, the other thing I think I find fascinating, I realize this isn't necessarily kind of just the beauty of it, but the the way the coastal communities, particularly the islands, um, it fascinates me how they've chosen to manage their resources. So it's there's just a a lot going on there in terms of, of where Um, it's beautiful and interesting and, and there's all kinds of kind of fascinating resource issues going on up there too.
0: Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Suzanne. Thanks for joining us and thanks for telling us about Restore America's Estuaries and the Coastal Watershed Grants Program.
3: Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.